Science has got to be one of the coolest subjects around. There's so many amazing things to discover, from terrifying triceratops to gigantic galaxies. One person that loves science as much as we do is Dan. He presents the Fun Kids Science Weekly podcast. In each episode, Dan takes a look at some of the week's biggest science stories. There's also special guests and experts answering your science-related questions. It's basically loads of amazing science stuff crammed into a weekly show. You can download the Fun Kids Science Weekly from wherever you get your podcasts. Places like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify. Let's hear from Dan. Hello, this is Dan from the Fun Kids Science Weekly podcast. Each week we take a look at some of the coolest things in science. Now this week, in our brand new episode, we're discovering if there really are aliens in space. We also learn about one of the most deadly beasts in Africa. And we have a little chat about why sloths are quite scared to go to the toilet. Right now, though, I want to share some of my favourite bits from past episodes of the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Uh, You see, a few months ago, I caught up with the astronaut Tim Peake. Tim is a British astronaut. He spent six months on board the International Space Station orbiting the Earth. And he spoke to me all about the incredible things that he got up to, the worst space food that he had to eat while he was up there, and the surprising things that he saw while brushing his teeth. Plus... He also explains how you can become an astronaut. Really, look, have a listen. Tim Peake, hello, welcome, how are you? Hello, yeah, I'm very good, thanks. Perfect, so you've got a brand new book out, it's Ask an Astronaut, so that's what I'm going to do with this chat. I'm just going to ask you any question that I've always wanted to ask a spaceman, is that okay? Okay, fire away. Uh, If I was seven years old and I was an astronaut, what would I need to do to make it happen? Okay, to make it happen, um, you... Uh, well, firstly, it's seven years old. <laughs> you need to uh, firstly finish school, get some good qualifications. A scientific background would really put you in good stead, um, you know, studying either science or mathematics background. Uh, and then the most important thing that I tell people is what are you going to do before you become an astronaut? Nobody leaves school and becomes an astronaut. You have to do something first. And that's really important. Find something you love doing. Work hard at it. Be as good as you can be. Um, don't be put off by, you know, knockbacks along the, on the way and then you've got the skills to become an astronaut is it as simple as applying for a job as an astronaut in 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 the esa or in nasa or something or or are you headhunted are you poached as you would be if you were a spy maybe no, it's absolutely as simple as applying. Uh, you know, these opportunities don't come along that often, but when you see them, um, I, I, it was in 2008, I saw an online advert. Do you want to become an astronaut? I thought, yes, I do. <laughs> I was a test pilot at the time, flying helicopters, and I thought, wow, what an opportunity. So I submitted my application along with 8,413 others and, and thankfully got through. Uh, and you say that we need to work on skills and abilities and talents before we were to apply for the job. What would you say the key ones that that we should be working on to stand us in the perfect stead to become an astronaut? So to become an astronaut today, the missions are changing. We're looking at deep space exploration now, which is really exciting. You know, going to the moon, going on to Mars. Uh, I spent six months in space, um, which now is very ordinary. But only a few years ago, you know, six months was an awfully long time to be in space. And two-week missions were the norm. Uh, but whilst I was up there, I was there with two astronauts who were spending a year in space. Uh, I think in a few years' time, we're going to look back and say six months, that's a short mission. You know, we're doing three missions, three-year missions, three 
three-year missions to Mars now. So what do you need to do to do a three-year mission? Well, the kind of skills that will put you in good stead is uh, teamwork, communication, uh, international travel, um, those kind of things. I, I mean, we're not going to do any of these missions by ourselves. We're going to do them with our international colleagues. Speaking another language will really help as well. Um, so these are the kind of skills that you can pick up along the way that would stand you in good stead to become an astronaut. And as you said, you spent six months on board ISS. Talk me through an average day. You wake up in the morning, what happens? Average day, wake up six o'clock um, and go and do your hygiene routine. That's just a quick face wash. There's no shower or anything. It's just uh, hot water in a, in a flannel. Uh, brush your teeth, have some breakfast, cup of tea. And the things I would do would be to uh, check my schedule for the day and I'd check the orbits for the day because I wanted to know where, where are we flying at? We orbit the Earth 16 times a day. So I'd look at each orbit and think if I was passing over the UK daytime, think, great, that's a good photo opportunity. Or maybe the Himalayas. That's a good one. I'll look out for that. And I'd set my alarm, several alarms throughout the day so that I knew which photographs I would want to go and take. And then it would be 7 o'clock, we'd start the working day uh, around Robin around the world, literally talking to Houston and, and Huntsville in America, then over to Munich in Germany, over to Scuba in Japan, then to Moscow uh, in Russia. Uh, we'd talk to these ground stations, find out what the day's activities involve, and then get on with our work. Uh, 12-hour day, 7 in the morning, 7 at night, mostly science activities, uh, also maintaining the space station two hours of fitness training each day uh, sometimes some education programs some PR etc um, and the day just goes by in a blur you know you'll probably get about 40 minutes for a bite to eat uh, at lunchtime and then before you know it it's seven o'clock in the evening you do another round the world wrap up with all the ground control stations and get ready for the next day is there no quiet time? Is there no Tim time where you can kind of do stuff that you fancy? I know you're, you're, you're big into your photography. You took your camera up there. Uh, how much time do you have to do what you want to make the most of being in space? Yeah, so during the day, you can buy yourself some time. If you get some of your jobs done really quickly, then before the next job starts, you might have five minutes, ten minutes, so you've got time to go and take some photographs, uh, maybe have a quick coffee break, tea break, or what have you. Um, but we've always got this backup list of jobs to be done, so even if we get ahead on the timeline, then we go to the backup list and we start working on, on that. So, uh, you know, we're up there to work hard, and we do work hard. But at the weekends, we do drop the tempo down. Uh, Saturday morning, we clean the space station, uh, and then in the afternoon and on Sundays, we do get some time for you know, calling friends and families and taking photos. How many people were up in the space station while you were there as well? I was up there with five others, so we have a normal crew of six on board the space station is what we try and maintain. Uh, but the Soyuz spacecraft takes three people. So you go up as a crew of three and you stay with that crew for six months and then halfway through your mission, three people go down and then you three come and join you. Now... I can barely go camping with my family for around, I'd say, three days before we're at each other's throats. What's it like with five of you being up there for six months together? Um, how, how kind of easy do you have to take it with each other? And what happens if you get a little bit annoyed? You know, it's really, this question comes up an awful lot, but it's really easy to get on with your crewmates well because you don't see them for most of the day. Lots of the jobs we do, they're just one-person jobs. You're working uh, in a very solitary environment throughout the day. You're working along your timeline doing your jobs. So so it's actually really nice in the evenings to get together, have a, have a meal and actually chat to each other uh, about what you've been doing. And uh, every Friday, at least, we would come together as a crew of six, usually down in the Russian segment. And we'd all take some of our best food down there and we would just have a really fun Friday night meal. Uh, and, and so if anything, it was nice. We, we looked forward to the evenings when we could actually chat to each other and get to, you know, and get to find out what everyone else has been doing. 
what was the toughest everyday task that was surprisingly hard when you were up there? Um, I think the, the surprisingly hard thing is the amount of reading you have to do. Uh, we, we do everything by procedure on board the space station, and you have to follow the procedures carefully. You do not want to make a mistake. You know, you're dealing with scientific experiments that people have worked for years on, and, and your job is to run it accurately. Um, and you, you might be jumping, you might be doing 20 different uh, procedures each day, and that's an awful lot of reading. And, and so you, and it's, you've got to read fast, and you've got to read accurately. And that takes a lot of brain power to be able to read fast and accurately and not make mistakes. Um, I want to ask a question that might be a bit, like, iffy, all right, but it's, it's fine. It's all about uh, money. Not specifically money, but I've always wondered, when spacemen get paid... Are they paid like everyone else, like a salary? Are you paid on completion of the mission? Do you get a bonus for a spacewalk? What goes on? No, so the European Space Agency astronauts, we are career astronauts. We get paid an ordinary monthly salary, and that's it. Um, and we are, you know, we're recruited to, um, to be astronauts for life, so at least hopefully two missions for, for an astronaut, and then in between times you're back into the program. You're supporting the human spaceflight program. Uh, so it's, a, it's an ordinary day job for me. What was the most dangerous thing about everyday life in space? I know we kind of think, I don't know, there must be uh, explosions happening all the time. You're floating around, not really knowing what's going on. Maybe there's aliens, who knows? For you, what was the most dangerous every day when you're up there? The most dangerous everyday thing is something that we don't really know about, and that's space debris. As in, as in, you, you, we're not living in fear on board the space station, but every single moment of every single day, the space station risks being hit by some space debris. Um, and we have protection around the pressurized hulls that will stop anything from one centimeter diameter or less. It will stop that from penetrating the hull. And the ground radar stations can track things that are 10 centimetres greater or, or greater. So there's this black zone between 1 and 10 centimetres where we can't track it by radar and it's big enough to go straight through the hull. Uh, and that's a risk that we live with on board the space station, that you could be hit by something that's going to cause a, an emergency depressurisation. I've got some questions from the listeners in just a sec, if that's OK. My last uh, question, uh, because this is a science show, I saw you tweet the other day, uh, and I wrote it down. It says, mind-blowing that all visible matter makes up less than 5% of the universe. Can you just explain that for me for a second? I don't get it. <laughs> So we look at the stars and the movement of the stars in galaxies and we know uh, that there must be more mass out there that's causing these stars to move and the galaxies to move in the manner they are. But we can't see that mass. Um, and so the, the, the amount of mass that we can calculate just by visible matter alone makes up just 5%. So 95% of, of matter, uh, or mass of the universe, is out there in a different form, and we call that dark energy and, and dark matter. Um, so dark energy and dark matter combined make up about 95% of the universe, and we really don't know what that is. What, what would you, as a spaceman, predict is going to happen with humans' exploration of space within the next 30 years? 
Um, so in the next 30 years, I think we're going to go back to the moon and we're going to use that as a stepping stone to go onto Mars. But what's exciting about the moon is we're going to see, at the moment you've got the International Space Station only 400 kilometres away from Earth. Uh, we're going to effectively take that International Space Station and it's going to become an international habitation station on, board, on the moon, hopefully the south pole of the moon. That's a really exciting area to go, go and research. So rather than spending six months on the ISS, we'll go and spend six months on the lunar surface at a research station. And we'll learn about living on another celestial body um, and we'll be able to research all the you know this amazing four billion years worth of uh, of the lunar history that we can learn an awful lot from and that will help us build the technologies and give us the information to be able to go to mars and then do the same on mars and, and we'll see ourselves living and working on mars uh, so one day could the moon in effect be like a service station on the highway from earth to mars Absolutely, yeah. It, it could be a, an absolute service station. It, well, it, it, in its own right, anyway, it's going to be a, an incredible research facility. But also, as a service station, uh, you know, there's water on the on the moon. Uh, there's the ability to actually create fuel, rocket fuel, from the lunar surface. And the moon's gravity is very easy to escape, much easier than Earth's gravity. So uh, it makes it very much, much easier to land and take off from the lunar surface than it does from the Earth's surface. Let me just get a few questions in for the Fun Kids listeners. This been, has been done for a free kids app. It's called Pop Jam. This is from... Uh, the names on these people are amazing, by the way. This is from Crazy Cookies 172 who says, what was the most disgusting space food you had to eat? Uh, dis- most disgusting, it was some peas, mushy peas. they just bland and no texture to them. Not very nice at all. I used to just have to add a lot of Tabasco sauce to make them palatable. Fiery, fiery mushy peas when you're up there. Uh, this is from Blobby Goat, who says, Why did you take the Lottie doll with you into space? So the Lottie Doll, uh, it was one of the educational programs. We're looking at encouraging uh, things like astronomy uh, and um, help trying to reach out to all sorts of different age groups, different gender group, genders as well. So the Lottie Doll was one of those programs that we're hoping to encourage uh, people to look at in astronomy. Uh, and then finally, this is from Unicorn Summer 1000, who says, what was the best thing you managed to see from the ISS? The best thing I managed to see oh, is planet Earth every day. It's, it, every time you look at Earth from space, it's different. It changes. It's different, uh, either different seasons, different weather systems, different countries, uh, maybe at nighttime. And it would surprise you. I mean, I'd be brushing my teeth one night. I'd just go and pop down and look out the cupola window, and there'd be the most magnificent aurora. And it was just like this secret that nobody else knew about. And I was witnessing it, and uh, it was incredible. Another time, you might see thunderstorms by night, or uh, you might have a wonderful day pass and sneak a volcano that's just erupted and you think I wonder if anyone on earth actually knows that volcano is erupting right now because it's in the middle of Kamchatka and there's nobody there uh, there's all these kind of secrets that you, you get to witness when you look down at earth from space Perfect, Tim thank you so much for coming on the Fun Kids Science Weekly Thank you very much, thanks for having me that was Tim Peake talking to me all about how great space is and how you can become an astronaut yourself. It's all in our Fun Kids Science Weekly podcast. Every single week we learn about the most dangerous things that are out there in the galaxy and we check out some of the most epic things in science. You can subscribe to the show uh, wherever you get your podcasts from. We're on Google, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify as well. You can find us on our free Fun Kids app and have a listen at funkidslive.com. Now it's time for an episode of Techno Mum's Connected World. Techno Mum, uh, she's kind of like our gadget genius. 
she answers all of your questions all about really geeky technological stuff now in her series connected world uh, it's her and her sidekick tim they're learning all about how the internet talks to loads of smart technology to make our life easier and in this episode techno mum and tim they've taken their car to the garage uh, where technicians use computers to diagnose problems and tim wonders if similar technology could be used to diagnose illnesses in people techno mum's connected world our new car's been playing up so we took it to the garage I was expecting to see a load of mechanics working out with spanners and wrenches. Not just a technician with a laptop. What's he doing? Why isn't he looking under the bonnet? He doesn't need to. He's asking the car what's up. Asking the car? Good joke, Mum. I'm serious. There's a computer inside the car which takes measurements and records a lot of data while it's driving around. Not just how much fuel has been used and is the battery correctly charging, but also if something's not working within its normal parameters. Once he's plugged in his laptop, he can check the readings and look online to diagnose faults. Cool. The mechanic fixed the car and we were back on the road in no time. I was asking lots of questions about what we had seen. It's called the Internet of Things, ways to connect things together. And to the Internet in all sorts of ways, the possibilities are pretty exciting. So, what if we had computers inside our bodies, like the car? Taking measurements and recording problems. Ew, not sure I'd like that. Think about it. It could help spot and diagnose illnesses just like the car can diagnose mechanical problems. Are illnesses the same as mechanical problems? I reckon some are. Just imagine, instead of the doctor getting their thermometer out or listening to your chest with a stethoscope, you could just connect yourself to the internet and upload the information directly to your doctor's computer. And... If he wasn't sure what was wrong with you, he could upload the information to the cloud and ask the doctors all over the world. In fact, we might not need doctors at all. Computers can analyse the data and diagnose you wherever you were in the world. And check this out. Computers could even connect automatically and find out if something was wrong before you even knew yourself. Like a warning light on a car? Warning. Warning. Dangerous amounts of gas warning. How cool would that be? And just think, if you had really smelly feet or horrible gloopy spots, you could become an internet sensation. Your virus could go viral. Um, I'm not sure I'd want anyone else to know about that. It's something to think about. Medical matters can be embarrassing. People tell doctors things that they might not tell anyone else. It's important our medical details are kept private. Uh, yeah. I'd want my smelly feet to be super private. As you can see, a connected world brings tons of benefits. Your idea would be amazing for people living in remote parts of the world or where there aren't any doctors nearby. But you need to be careful with the data. And you'll still need doctors and nurses to help remedy illnesses and provide some comforting words. True. Oops. Looks like we're low on petrol. We'd better top up. Looks like my warning system's telling me I need a snack too. <laughs> Techno Mum's Connected World. With support from the Institution of Engineering and Technology. Find out more at fungudslive.com slash technomum. Also, every week I talk you through some of the most deadly and dangerous things that are out there in the universe. It's everything from uh, elements to disgusting, deadly foods that you can try, uh, to things that are out there in the galaxy that kind of want to destroy the Earth. Also, we talk about some of the most brutal animals that are on this planet. 
I call it Dangerous Dan. And here's a sneak peek from this week's episode, where we talk about one of the most deadly creatures in the rivers of Africa. The Nile crocodile is a fearsome, toothy beast. It can grow to 20 feet long. Let me put that in perspective. That is as long as a giraffe is tall. And they can weigh almost a ton. They live in the Nile Basin throughout the rivers, marshes and swamps around Africa as well. Now, they're quite protective parents, which makes them quite aggressive. You see, many crocs, when they lay eggs, they'll kind of leave them to hatch on their own, do their own thing. But the Nile crocodile will stay there, waiting for them, keeping watch. Now, crocodiles as a species tend to have the strongest bite of any animal, and the Niles are right at the top of that. They can take down anything, including hippos. And they're a a ridiculously, sorry, uh, aggressive creature. Uh, And check this out. According to CrocBite, which is a worldwide crocodile attack database, it published these facts back in 2016. American alligators and crocodiles have killed 33 people uh, since the turn of the century, the year 2000. But the Nile crocodile, a different species, has killed 268 people in that time loads more than any other crocodile species. That's why the Nile crocodile has to go on our Dangerous Dan list. And that is it for this sneak peek into our Fun Kids Science Weekly podcast. I also answer all of your science questions. I do all the research. I chat to some of the smartest scientists and genius experts out there. So you don't really have to. All the details of what you need to get that done uh, are in the Fun Kids Science Weekly podcast. You can find us however you get your shows. Uh, Google, Apple Podcasts are on Spotify as well. And you can download us and save it to your phone over on our free fun kids app and you can have a listen whenever you like over at funkidslive.com i'll see you then bye as dan just said you can get the fun kids science weekly podcast wherever you're listening to this all you need to do is search fun kids science weekly in your podcast app or head to funkidslive.com to listen to the latest episode don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode